0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Today marks the 10th anniversary of Tony Gilroy directing The Bourne Legacy starring Jeremy Renner after Gilroy penned the original trilogy for Matt Damon. Coincidentally, this month also marks 15 years since Gilroy wrote and directed the legal thriller Michael Clayton starring George Clooney. I spoke to Gilroy in 2018 when he wrote and produced the political thriller Beirut, directed by Brad Anderson, and Starring John Hamm. We are here with Tony Gilroy. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Um, First, I got to start off by saying it was it was thrilling. I love this genre, and I feel like we don't get. I mean, it comes every now and then, but there's so many superhero movies. That kind of thing is ruling the day, and we don't. I sort of miss this stuff. I mean, you wrote all the Bourne ones, and you know Michael Clayton, and um, so I just want to say, keep going in this. In this pa- what, what's the state tough, of that genre? I mean, what? I
1: don't know. It's it's. I mean, it's moving off the screen. It's going to your. It's going home. You know, there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, uh, uh, there's no shortage of. Of thrillers on television um getting one on the screen and getting people to leave their house to go see it is the uh is a trick and it gets harder and harder to do that
0: yeah well, if they do get out and see it i yeah, think no, they will no, no, i think no, they will no. enjoy this is, it no this
1: is a this is um uh, and they have to be done for a price i mean this is uh, we are talking to someone here today who had, who had been to Park City and seen the movie in Sundance and thought, oh my god, this is really isn't a Sundance movie, it's so expensive. And I said, I bet there were several movies at Sundance that cost way more than this did. I, think people, I can't tell you what it cost, but you would be shocked how inexpensive this was made. So I think if people can you know, uh, pull off little miracles like this, they have a chance, but that's what it takes
0: so you made it a little more economically than it seems. It oh, seems I, I, like it's a big budget I thriller, I yeah. Interacted
1: this at this price. I could have done it and, I, and I'm pretty I like to think that I'm really handy and frugal and efficient and yeah. but I never could have done what Brad Brad Anderson did. Yeah. awesome.
0: Um let's let's go into into your your protagonist here. Right. I love that he's, you know, he it's it, it's this, you know, this wounded hero. It's almost like, you know, Beirut's almost like his Chinatown, you know, like the place that he doesn't want to go back at exactly. first, you know what I mean? Um Talk about how um it was important to sort of set that up, and he, he's trying to you know he's obviously boozing drinking out of the flask and he's still a negotiator but he's not he's left his diplomatic negotiation and now he's at this there's that scene where he's at the negoti like a labor negotiation and they're wow. yelling at each other to strike how How important was it to sort of set that up
1: well it really you know it's it's paradise lost for him really you know you meet him in seventy two and he's uh you know, he's a, a mediator diplomat stationed in Beirut. He's married a Lebanese woman. He's sponsoring a 12 year old Palestinian boy for an education in America. He speaks fluent Arabic. He's going to make his life here. He loves the Middle East. He loves his future. And in one night, everything is taken away from him. And as you said, you meet him 10 years later, and he's a, re- a low rent retail labor negotiator in Boston. And um, I think that, I mean, I love that sequence. It, it does a bunch of things. It shows you that negotiation is negotiation and people not getting along. It doesn't matter if you're arguing over, you know, a 2,000-year-old disagreement or you're arguing over, you know, the insurance premiums on the union contract. Um, people still get, people fight. And uh, if people just shut up and listen and talk, there's a way out of it. Um, but the movie is about, you know, and, and, and when he returns, I mean, it's 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 the kind of thing that you dream of when you're you're trying to write you know the the place he's returning to is as ruined as he is you know and he's coming back to a a city that's ruined and he's ruined and and everything is ashes and and um uh that makes for you know it makes for uh good storytelling hopefully
0: i love that line the city is, is as ruined as he is that was that's pretty genius and it made me and the perfect guy to cast in it because what he had the madman line what we're, we're flawed because we want so much more we're ruined because we get these things and wish for what right, we yeah, have yeah, anyway but yeah when you said ruined it made me click but anyway but talk i mean before we dive any more into the script but john hammond is like that perfect hollowed out individual you know he's like wounded he's he's We've seen him do that in Mad Men before. Were you write, do you, do you too, write I with think. him? in, in that in No, body? you know, they,
1: I wrote this in 1991. Wow, and uh, <laughs> I wrote it in '91, and we couldn't get it. Was written as a, you know, it was like a, this big deal for me, like a big up step up in class, and my first real serious movie, and uh, and everybody's very excited about it, and we were going to go out. To, we went out to a lot of big people, and it was a really. You know, it was like a calling card for me and and it was a real, it meant a lot to me. We could never get it made because in 1991, the politics of the film, because it's very accurate about what's happening in the winter of 1982 in Beirut, the politics were considered incredibly, not incredibly, they were considered too inflammatory. A lot of people got afraid because nobody in the movie really looks good except for the hero. You have the PLO, which is corrupt. You have the Reagan White House, which is just a hornet's nest of bad ideas back and forth. And you have Israel... Just horribly, aggressively on the border, waiting to invade, looking for any excuse possible. And when the movie's over, they will find an excuse. And so everybody's behavior is poor. And everybody looks really bad, except for John Hamm, who's come to save the day. Um, that made for a perfect storm of people getting very close to making it and not making it. So 20 years went by, it disappeared. Yeah. I never thought about it. Sure. And these guys, these producers, Mike Weber and and, and Interscope, they pulled out of a draw and they go, like, we really like this. And it's actually sexier now that time has passed. 82 is really sexy. And we'd like to go to John Hamm. And I was like, they're never going to get this Good luck to you. I've heard everybody drive off this cliff with this movie before. Good luck to you. For like 28, Eighty five years. No, good luck to you. I didn't even think. We couldn't find my contracts. I couldn't. We never were able to find my original contracts. It was that far back. I said, good luck to you. And uh and they call back, well John John loves it, he wants to do it. We gotta go to Brad Anderson and, and and we know you like Brad, and Brad wants to do it. I'm like, great, they're never gonna get but we get a budget. They got a budget. I'm like, you can't make the movie for that, and you'll never get the money anyway. Oh my God, we have the money. We have a budget. Well, where and then I had to rewrite the then we like serious. I was like, okay, I will rewrite the script, I'll tune it up a little bit. But I said they're never gonna get to the starting gate. And we went to Changier and they were like, day one. I went to the first day shooting. I was like, I cannot believe this is actually happening. So, um, God, I don't know. John, just perfect for it. After this movie is over, the reality is when the movie is over, uh, the movie probably is, say, it's like February, March or something like that. In June, Israel will invade. Um, six months later, the embassy will be blown up in one of the first suicide bombs ever. And of the sixty-nine, seventy people that are killed, there's a couple dozen women that are in that building that are killed. And there's a great book that came out in the interim, uh, some a bunch of books that have come out, but you know, talking about some of the women that worked in the, I mean, you had to be a really, I mean, you can imagine how tough you had to be just to be anybody to be there, but to be a woman, and to be there, and Rosamund has
0: some steel. She really has steel. It's great to see. Give me a little bit of a um, an anatomy. Let's do like an anatomy of the scene when you're sort of sitting down writing that scene when he finally goes back and sits down, and they're trying to. Bring him on board to do the negotiation with the with the right. hostage situation. Um, I love how he's flippantly saying, you know, oh well, well, whatever, you guys do this. I half expected Cal to be here, and then he sa- they say, actually, he's the one that's been kidnapped. Right. Explain. I don't know if there's like an up and coming sh- screenwriters listening to this. How you actually go about getting to that point in the scene by sort of building up an expectation, and then yanking the rug, and then you're, you're watching it like the character saying, oh, wait it's a minute.
1: Really interesting, you have to be really careful. I'll say two things. These are sort of geeky screenwriter things. I'm in. Let's go. Okay. So two geeky screenwriting things. One is that one of the things that I did do when I rewrote it 30 years later was uh, I was very impressed with my, because you're collaborating with yourself over 30 years, I was very impressed with the young version of myself, how energetic and like my, how, how, how you know, my plotting. and yeah. I was like, wow, this guy's really good. I wonder if I could still do that. Yeah, yeah. Right? A lot of, lot of good energy. But... The guy 30 years ago was very into like he'd get a line and he and I would warp scenes around lines and moments and I didn't let natural it wasn't everything wasn't natural. Um, that scene is on the border for me of being unnatural. It's such a great turn that you want the scene to do that you have to find a way to do. it. So that's that's on the that's on the bubble for me. For you, it's when you look
0: back and you're. Like, and for yeah. me, that's on the
1: bubble. It, it works because it's delivered well and I was very. I, I really warned Brad about that, and warned everybody. I said, "Please don't lean on this." See, a lot of times, you say to an actor, particularly directing, like, "like take the take the line out of this." Like, if I hear me when you say this, I'm gonna we're gonna change it. Like, make it so I can't hear me anymore. Right, right. The second thing is, and every screenwriter should know this. The best way to get plot out in a movie is people that do not. I don't know how you write a movie where people get along. I mean, the worse people don't get along, the more contentious they are, the more they disagree, the more different opinions there are, the more people dislike each other in the room, the easier it is to get plot out. Well, it's all conflict, you know what I mean? Exactly. Right, that's a good point, because if they all get along... Nobody in that room is on the same page. You have five (laughs) people in the room, nobody's on the same page. They all mistrust each other. Uh, and they're all looking at him, and he doesn't trust any of them, and it's it makes for good. It's it's they're not the hard scenes to write.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I just love it. In case there's 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 writers or even 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 moviegoers that like to sort of see the craft of it, you know, right. kind of break it down. Um, I, in terms of, like, um, planting either a clue or a red herring, uh, the PLO thing, the prey, love, only. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know that you're going to get... You have to deliver that aha moment when he realizes right. that. But then how do you... I guess you, you know that first, and then you, you go back and plant that the other way? Or does well, it you're talking about a scene where or, a guy's
1: talking in code. Yeah. I mean, for the people who haven't seen it, there's a scene where they, where they have to talk in code, and they have very limited time. And I'll be, again, to geek out screen-wise, that scene really, really comes close to the edge of not working on the page. And I was, again, that's another scene that I really went over with Brad and said, man, look, this has, I would have, if I was directing the scene, I would be really nervous on that day because it, it could really be, you have to get the pressure on, but they have to get the information over, but it can't be cheesy and it can't be too much. That scene works so much better live than it does on the page. It is a... It is a and, and it happens every now and then. And it's to Brad's credit. And Mark Pellegrino, who plays the part, is great. And John is there. And 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 and, uh, and, and Kareem, they, they... That scene, when I saw it... There's a couple scenes that, that don't come up to my expectations. I won't tell you what they are. But that but one... Exceeded- that one... And it's such a crucial scene. And it's so far exceeded what I ever thought. I was like, wow, that's... that. So they crushed that. I wasn't there when they did it, was, yeah. but man, I was so happy to see that work. Like, oh, thank God! No, I know, right? Because if it doesn't, it's like, yeah. oh God, what a letdown. Wow. No, it's, so, it's such a pivotal part. Yeah. All right.
0: Well, I know we got to wrap up, so I guess in closing, um, I want to talk about growing up, brothers Gilroy. I, I know your dad was, a, you know, a Pulitzer Prize winner, right. and saying, you know need to, need to say more. Um, I had a fraternal twin, and we made movies as a kid. And I know, I guess Dan and John are fraternal. Twins. They're fraternal Twins. They're fraternal yeah. Twins as well. My are you, brothers, yeah. You're the older one. I'm older. the oldest, yeah. Okay, okay. And just for our listeners, they, um, you know, we're talking to Michael Clayton right here, but uh Dan made um Nightcrawler, which was badass, yeah. right? And then John yeah. was the editor of a lot John of the born stuff. Everything yeah. John's yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. credits are yeah. Yeah, you, anything you can John imagine. John worked on many more
0: films than either one of us, because editors yeah. work on... John's one of the best editors on the planet. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. I just want to... Some sort of tidbit of what it was like growing up. Were you guys always into movies? Did, did, nah. did Dad give, give you pointers, or no? You just found your own way individually? Or?
1: I, we, you know, what's the shortest version? I mean, <laughs> great father. My father was a great father, and he was an only child... And he was really, extremely into fraternity and the fact that we get along. So he 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 he, he baked into us yeah. getting along. Um, we grew up in a really non. We grew up in upstate New York in a place and went to public high school in a very unusual place that I that Michael Clayton grew up. Uh, our our school was. Uh, A real mess not a great education and a really rough and tumble place that we grew up and we sort of had uh, this sort of secret big life in the middle of a really rough and tumble community and the only way to fit in and the only way to get over was to be part of that you know rowdy community and our childhood was pretty like you know so it wasn't um, like a creativity
0: we challenge. We were
1: not. We were no. No one knew it from the from two o'clock in the afternoon until dinner. Or whatever. no one knew, ever knew what we did. We lived in the woods in bikes with yeah. guns and mini bikes and drugs and yeah. it just it was mad and very and, and very rugged. And I think in the end it, it looked really terrible for a while for us. I it think that you in the long run. But in the long run, like we all had, we always worked. We always had blue collar jobs and all this stuff. We. There was a there was a toughness about it, and yet at the same time, we were we all knew we had this really weird secret that we had this other life. And the summer we would go to Europe, and we would go to Broadway, and we would like we had this intellectual life, and we had to defend it on the school bus all the time. So you had to be really tough, and you had to be rowdy, and you had to you had to stick up for yourself. And some of that 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 grit. Really came in handy as we all became journalists and bartenders and musicians and and figured out our way through this. And it, it helps out along the way to be a little. Everybody works hard. We're hard workers, I guess. Yeah.
0: I, I think I think you nailed it. I mean, I think it may give you a well-roundedness and a, a lived-in sort of grit experience that maybe if you had just taken that normal route, Nobody you know paid I mean? attention
1: to us yeah. when we were growing up. And now, you, I mean, I've raised my own kids. You just watch them all the time, and you you just can't help but messing them up. But kid people need to be. Kids need to be free range.
0: I <laughs> need to get back. We need to bring kick the know. can back, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the kick the, the, the rusty can. Back. Kick the rusty can. All right, well, thank Pleasure you so man. much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.